Welcome to King Size. King Through the Ages, as Stephen King podcast. For obsessives, by obsessives. With Matt Robinson and Jamie Stewart. The Naughties, Part 2. Constant listeners, welcome back. Welcome back to our epic uh, king size king through the ages. We've given you the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and now we're in the noughties. So we've done part one, and this is part two of our look as we've just turned the new millennium, the new century, uh, new decade, all of that. And we're seeing what King provides us with. Uh, and of course, I am joined by my wonderful partner in crime for these uh, for these episodes, Jamie. Hey, Jamie, you okay, buddy? Yes, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Very cool. And you're not alone there, are you, in the studio? You, you've got some company as well. I do. Uh, some company keep me warm. I've got my two Cocker Spaniels, Poppy and Henry. Yeah. Stephen King fans himself. <laughs> brilliant. Well, listen, they are more than welcome. And of course, at any moment they want to share their thoughts and insights, then brilliant. And I'll get Ozzy to come down as well, because, uh, yeah, the, the, the dogs are going to have some thoughts, right? <laughs> where where are we going to in this episode? What are, What are we looking at? Well, we're kicking things off since we're doing the noughties in chronological order. The next one we have to talk about is Everything's Eventual, which is Stephen King's next uh, short story collection. One of two that he would release in this decade um, and his fourth one overall for short stories alone. And we talked about in the last episode about how King has come back from the accident and his driving focus, his motivation is to tell the Dark Tower to get to the end of that journey for Roland and the Catat. And the interesting thing is even this short story effect, uh, short story collection is affected by that desire because in this we've got two stories that are uh, directly related to the Dark Tower, with the first one being um, The Little, Ser- Little Sisters of Valyria, uh, which is Roland. Um, it's a story that's a prequel to even The Gunslinger. This is a story that happens before uh, that novel where... Uh, Roland finds himself in a spot of trouble with some vampires. It's nice that it's kind of like a set. He's a by himself. He doesn't have the rest of his partnership that he would let her, later go on to, you know, create. So it's kind of nice to just. I think this is when he does it when it suits him best is have a short story where he can be a badass in. And uh, it's also interesting. This story comes directly. Well, I don't know what time this was written because obviously this is a short story collection, but the. He Roland is injured throughout the course of the story, and he's been looked after what by um, a group of women who are who turn out to be vampires and are drinking his blood. But he's also being healed by um, these doctor bugs that are like regenerating his flesh. But the place that they're in this pavilion is referenced in Black House. It's a place that Jack Sawyer and the characters spend some time there, and you kind of get the sense that this is in Black House that 
what happens in the story happened beforehand. So the the you know the outcome of this short story um, is where Black House begins, sort of thing, when they go to that situation, which is interesting. Where where would you rate everything's eventual with you know in the pantheon of of Stephen King's short story collections? Well, uh, as a short story collection, my initial reaction to this collection, I tried to read this the first time uh, on a car journey up through Scotland, and um, it was terrible because um, the, the whoever was driving the car had not thought of the foresight to put any petrol in it. So we were trying to find a petrol station on the A9 in the middle of the highlands before the car ran out of juice. And I was just using the stories to distract myself from this dilemma. <laughs> and I wasn't really enjoying it because of that situation. But having reread it recently, you know, I really enjoyed you know, there's some stories in this. Of course, I I didn't. They didn't catch me. They didn't work on me. But the other ones, I I did enjoy. Like you know, as I say, little series, Sisters of Valeria is one is my favorite out of the uh, out of the collection. And I also really enjoyed um, a, a Topsy Room Four, um, yeah. which is the first one. Uh, a nice bit of sort of slapstick territory. Well, it doesn't start out a slapstick, but it ends at about a man who is in a not well he he's he's believed to be dead he has been hit bitten by a snake and he's in the in the mortuary about to be you know autopsied but he is awake and alert and hearing all these people and uh the the way that he gets the people in the uh, the morticians to realize that he is alive is to is to have an erection <laughs> because uh, <laughs> one of the morticians a female one is holding him in a certain way that causes that and um and for me I actually think I, I did like the story a lot, but that sort of slapstick moment at the end, it's tacked on at the end. And um, I really uh, think that it would have been better if maybe it had been a bit more sort of brutal and, and played it straight and narrow, whereas, you know, it's like the actually come down with the buzzsaw. Yeah. I believe they're going to crack his, his <clears throat> chest open. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's nice to have like a pulpy, fun King read because after the 90s, it kind of felt like we were getting away from like the pulpy King stories of like mm-hmm. Night Shift and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where, you know, where he sort of, he, he you know, work, where he began sort of thing, mm-hmm. because all the 90s stuff had such seriousness. We talked about like Desperation, which is a novel that's like a horror novel for King, but it still has this big overarching thought on, you know, God and religion and all this stuff. Yeah. So it's just nice to get back to some of these stories that are like a bit more pulpy, like the man in the black suit about a young boy who meets the devil. Apart, you know, you're led to believe while fishing one day. Mm. Really, really creepy. There's other stories that didn't hit really hard for me, like um, the death of Jack Hamilton, um, mm. which is King trying to be like a, a, trying to do a gangster story, and uh, uh, very similar to sort of what's in Blaze. But for me, I just, I just, I don't, I didn't. I don't really think of King as writing gangsters or being a gangster writer. So this is one for me that just that didn't work. But um, there's other great stuff in here. Like, so the title story itself, Everything's Eventual, is a very, a very strange tale, but it's also so heavily influenced by the Dark Tower. It's about a person who has a certain shine ability, an ability to write emails he, he composes messages in a sort of language that even he doesn't understand and he sends them off to people and when the people read them they die and he's been employed by the crimson king to do this and for whatever reason what he's doing is directly affecting the beams and directly hindering roland's pro, uh, roland's pro, uh, progress mm. and it's a really interesting story and that character later comes into the dark tower um at a later date which i enjoy i enjoyed that very much 
Um, so, yeah. So the Dark Tower is still it's still got its claws within this. I mean, the, these are you know the first collection of stories King published since Nightmares and Dreamscapes, mm-hmm. uh, nine years previously. So it's his first short story collection, uh, uh, you know, of, of this new uh, century, this new millennium. Um, and there were a couple of those stories, aren't there, Jamie? Um, one which is Riding the Bullet, which is in this collection, mm-hmm. and he released that uh, as an ebook which yeah. attracted over half a million online readers and became the most famous and most read uh, online story of the decade now again king way ahead ahead of that trend right absolutely and you i would like to know like how much can we put down to the fact that kindle books and eu mm. books are reading are down to the success of this one thing i mean i don't think publishers would have taken the gamble on this electronic kind of device if something hadn't been as successful as that yeah. as king taken it and king is you know we've gone through the night the 90s and we've talked about how king loves different avenues of publishing like um green mile was published in six parts desperation regulators two books that marry each other same with dolores and and, and jared's game he was always sort of interest he was creative in more ways than just inside the story he was always sort of trying to push the the envelope of being creative in terms of like yeah. marketing stories. I think that you know he talks about he never wants to. You said it yourself. He talked about how he never wants to do the same thing again or rehash old ideas. I think with the same thing with publishing stories, he's always interested in sort of trying to look at new avenues. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I that, and Riding Bullet is one of the stories I really enjoyed as well. There are great stories in this collection, like one um, one four oh eight is in this collection. One that's like, right, yeah, an absolutely haunting fever dream of a story. And uh, you know the movie's great. I don't know how you stand the movie. I like the movie, but the the short story it's such a surreal fever dream. You can't even really comprehend it. For those that don't know, it's a story of a man, a, a horror writer who who you know goes into these places that are supposedly haunted and exposes them as not being haunted. And he goes into this room in the Dolphin Hotel in New York, and it turns out it's surreally haunted. And it's not like ghosts like we would see in The Shining or like an overly weird presence. He just be it just everything strange. He just the the you know the reality just begins to slip, and you could almost say in a sense that this is a haunted house. A haunted story, a haunted hotel room story that is that couldn't be written without the dark tower because King is so I feel like King is so obsessed with finishing the tower at the point at this point that everything is affected by it because all that sort of history of thinnies that he has, it feels like there's just a thinny inside room yeah. 1408. Um, so there is, and it's just bleeding through, like all these realities are bleeding through and into it. And it, it's the same way that the dark tower is sort of bleeding into everything King mm-hmm. is writing at the moment. Yeah. Time. Yeah, you just can't escape it. And and also that bleeding of pain. We spoke about, you know, on, as the back of the accident in, you know, 1999, how Dreamcatcher you know, nearly called cancer, a book that's just absolutely riddled with physical pain. And I, I get that with this collection as well, um, from, from that physicality of in Lunch at the Gotham Cafe that is a standout for me. 
um yeah this guy who is really stretched to breaking point and he's trying to give up smoking and he's got these blinding headaches and he is trying to just hold everything together and 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 then this absolute perfect storm of violence erupts yeah and from that to the road virus heads north to, oh i'm glad you mentioned that one oh <laughs> lo- love that one to, to also in the death room i mean you know which really you know lives up to its title these are books mm. dealing with um physical pain and the body being put under huge stress and people choosing to put that those stress down you know the gotham cafe in particular is one where you know just these this couple happened to be again wrong place wrong time the fragility of life how bad things happen to people that don't deserve it and i really see that bleeding through in this collection of stories yeah yeah absolutely i, I completely agree even like um the story um all you was it all that you love will be carried away there's such a bleakness yeah. to that story you know middle-aged salesman alfie who's on the road and you know he has a secret obsession with strangely you know a very strange obsession with graphic um, roadside graffiti which he keeps a wee diary of and writes all this stuff down and you sort of like you you really get a sense of this guy's isolation in life and he basically the story is he's at the point of suicide and he's leaving it up to fate whether what is it there's a house in the distance and if a light winks on in the next five minutes i won't do it or something like that and <laughs> but there's such a bleakness the way that it's depicted you can't you kind of get the sense that king that only someone in a very dark place of mind could write such a story or know such a dark place yeah. you know that, that's not a type of story all that you will all that you love will be carried away is not the type of story that would feature in that doesn't feature in any of the king collections before you know not that type of story certainly mm. And it's something new and something different. And it, and you get the sense in this, I feel with all the books that we've talked about so far, um, you know, Black House, Dreamcatcher, he is working through something, you know, whether it be the recovery of his injuries and yeah. the recovery of, you know, you know, just starting again, really, it would feel like, I suppose, after that awful accident. Yeah, absolutely. And even the fact, Jamie, that this one, you know, everything's eventual colon 14 dark tales that's its official title <laughs> you know mm-hmm. these are dark tales for uh, you know dark times so the next one is from a buick 8 by stephen king his second uh novel about a spooky car <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he loves his cars <laughs> he does to city yeah he, he, yeah even after what happened right <laughs> yeah and it was so you're talking about what happened you know this story i know i do know that the part of the story or a version of it was written before the accident but yeah. i do think that the that a revision has happened in between them because this story opens with a the death of a, of of a main character or the main character's father and it's told in such a way he dies you know by the side of a road doing his job as a state trooper mm. he, i think he's looking at the wheels of um of a semi truck or something like that, that looked like yeah. they're baldy. And somebody comes along, a drunk driver and, uh, kills them. And you get such, there is such detail in the body horror in that opening section, you know, King does not shy away mm. from the pain and the harm that happens to his body as he is, you know, hit by this car. And, um, and that's how it begins and that opens up. And I don't think, you know, that's an opening that would only exist from someone that had gone through what he's gone through. It it really does, <clears throat> again, just hit so hard, that opening. And 
I, I mean, absolutely. It feels like he's pulling on that that experience. And I, I want to share with you something I read about it, which, you know, that quote that he has in, um, I believe it's on writing, you know, put your desk in the corner. And every time that you sit down there to write, remind yourself why it isn't in the middle of the room. Life isn't a support system for art. It's the other way around. But this aspect of his life and what he's gone through, it can't help but bleed through. And as you said, you know, that first draft written before the accident, but then there's the second drafts definitely sharpened after what happened. Um, and, you know, it's a book that came out of his experience, right? With that accident that almost killed him. I mean, there's no, can't be any coincidence again, that this is the story he wants to tell of this car, you know, that is haunted, that has a life of its own, um, mm. that, 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 that does, um, affect everyone who comes into contact with it. And yeah. right from the beginning, as you say, in the accident that we see, it, it's, you know, someone doing a good deed, someone doing their job. And then this happens to them, this brutality. Um, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right there. But that's that's what I would let, what I wanted to talk about with this sort mm. of going forward with King. There's a very interesting thread that goes through some of his books here. And it's almost nihilistic in, uh, you know, yeah. good things can happen to good or bad things can happen to good people at any yep. moment. Yep. The world has teeth. And, you know, that's a, that's a line, obviously, from Tom Gordon. But if you read that book, and yes, absolutely. You know, I was I was listening to our back to our episode on it. I did feel that there is a point, you know, there is an a bit in that book where you don't know if Trish is going to survive. Mm -hmm. And I do feel that King didn't know that as well. But maybe he wasn't fully aware of the ramifications of what would happen while he was writing that, of what would happen if Trish didn't. But in these books that are coming out now, like the thread that runs through this one in particular is that there isn't an answer sometimes. No matter how much you search or how much you feel like you're going to crack the case of this particular mystery, the mystery of this car, life doesn't give you the answers. And it's very frustrating for so. And like life doesn't explain why this drunk character who gets away with the murder of this young boy whose name's Ned, uh, the murder of his father, uh, you know, a manslaughter because it is an accidental, uh, mm. it's an accident. You know, he can't look and say, that drunk's out there walking free and my father's dead. My father, who was a good man, who did good yeah. deeds, who worked on the police force. And this is kind of like that nihilistic thread that I've begun to notice in his work right about now, that it's like sometimes there is no answers. And a lot of King yeah. fans don't like those endings. I've noticed there's a lot of, there's a lot of, resentment in these books in from a Buick gate and a later book that I'll, we'll talk about at a later point where you know king doesn't give an answer he doesn't tie everything up in a yeah. neat little bow uh, in these books going forward and i think that's because he almost had his own life taken away and you were right you know we talked about last episode you know the little things that he was thinking about did i if i walk if i went out my walk five minutes earlier five minutes later if i took tabby with me you know if i chose a different route all these different variables that you know could have happened to him and didn't and he ended up you know in this absolute place where you know he was on death's door and then when he left death's door he was still in a huge amount of pain and coping with that so it sort of made him have, I think it's affected the hope that we normally have in mm. King book. Mm. Um, there's always been that, I said there's bleak books and hopeful books and most yeah. of them have been hopeful. But with King, there just seems to be this, there is a, there is a outlook here that is more on the bleaker side of things. Yeah, I I hear you absolutely. And that lack of, 
giving answers to these questions. I mean, it says it in the book's cover sleeve from a Buick eight is a novel about our fascination with deadly things about Mm. our insistence on answers when there are none about terror and courage in the face of the unknowable. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's king i mean and that's so many of us can relate to that you know the uh, hang on there has to be a reason for this there's got to be an answer but life is crazily random right and you don't um have to have been you, you a smoker in any way to get cancer it's just the dice that life throws right if you're looking for answers to some of these questions and some of this rage and bitterness, uh, they're not there. So I agree it's nihilistic, but it's almost him just saying, look, this is the way I see life right now. Um, So I find there's less comfort. And I think that definitely took a while for people to adjust to that because it's less of the maybe um, escapism. Yeah, it's a bit more reality within your mm. fiction that you're fiction that you're not uh, not used to, and um, it yeah there could be sort of a a tension or a friction there to experience in that because we're used to in our fiction everything being sweeped under the rug or at least you know yeah. you know the characters come out in the other side of some event and they're stronger for it. And within from a Buick Eight, that actually doesn't happen. I mean, yeah, um, we have you know, there, and there's there's some like um. So the overall premise is Ned finds that there is a haunted car or a car that has a certain level of mystery about it within Shed B within this state trooper building, and his father was particularly obsessed about proving where it came from and what was about it. And it looks like a normal Buick, except when you look closely, there are things in it that don't make sense, like the engine couldn't work and things like that. The way it's designed and also things come out of the things come out of the car when it's been left alone there's things like lightning storms that happen and within shed b as if lightning's coming from the car mm-hmm. and there are other times where creatures come out of the boot and then there are even more times when people go missing i think it chimes with a really turbulent time you know because king at the time of doing the uh, from a buick eight um publicity tour said, I can't imagine retiring from writing. What I can imagine doing is retiring from publishing. If I wrote something that I thought was worth publishing, I'd publish it. But in terms of publishing stuff on a yearly basis, the way I have been, I think those days are pretty much over. From a Buick 8, so far as I know, is the last Stephen King novel per se, in terms of it just being a novel novel. (laughs) <laughs> and so, which is hilarious compared to whatever that was you know how many i'm looking at my shelf well exactly it's, uh, that's books. a complete that's a complete fabrication i mean like you published a book a year uh i've got the stats here only skipping 2010 for the next 13 years and he published <laughs> two books in 2004 six 13 and 14 <laughs> um but yeah absolutely but i will get by i do have a theory about that and i will get back i will get back to that uh when we come to it i have a theory about you know his whole retirement spiel and then how he didn't actually retire and i think that i think you know if you imagine writing a series of books like we haven't talked about it but the Buick Gate is connected to the dark tower because what can we can only assume that the car is basically a, a thinny to another world and cars yeah. like this were referenced in um low men in yellow coats as in they were being you know they were 
there were vehicles that were actually monsters and being used by the Crimson King. They were described mm-hmm. as some sort of dragons, and which I find a really cool sort of surreal image. And there is a sense that this vehicle is alive in some way. Mm-hmm. And so, it, again, this is another Dark Tower story. But if you can imagine being an author and you have a series of books that you're writing, like think of George R. R. Martin now, the amount of stress and pressure he must feel under to complete the book series and the TV show's done, mm-hmm. you know? And have that weighing on your head. And King could often get letters from, you know, fans saying, when are you going to finish The Dark Tower? And he didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so it must feel like to get this book, to get the series done would have mean that, like, you know, he's he's done in some ways with writing because to him, certainly, he he believes The Dark Tower to be the centre of all his fiction. Mm. So it must have been a massive pressure on him to do this. And the fact that the accident happened, you get a yeah. sense that he's really gunning for it. So I, you do. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. And I, I think you spoke about it felt like, <clears throat> yeah, this is that book. And following on from a, a number of books, really, since, you know, um, in the noughties, where mm-hmm. it feels like there's more of this melancholy, this nihilism. Um, and, and, you know, our, our friend Grady Hendrix says, what makes Buick feel like the end of everything is the melancholy sundown mm. atmosphere that hangs over the whole book, which is all about the failures of writing, the failures of story, and the failures of fiction. Now, we'll see as we progress, you know, fast forward about 20 years or so, um, you know, a book like Billy Summers that we'll, we'll cover in a few episodes down the line. Three years down the line. <laughs> yeah, is is very much a, uh, it's a study of fiction and it's very interesting to see where King is at, you know, in his 70s now when he talks about the craft of fiction. Mm-hmm. And it feels in a very different place from the headspace that we find here in uh, from a Buick 8. Um, mm-hmm. But it feels like a really important book because it seems like a real reflection of um, where King's at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we as a book, I mean, there, there I do enjoy it, but I do have some problems with it. I mean, there is a massive cast of characters here, but they really don't stand out very well. You know, we have Shirley who works in the dispatch and there's Sandy who's telling the story to Ned of his father. And at some point, Sandy gives the narrative over to, you know, other characters and they kind of don't really have a lot of dimension to them to stand out. I mean, there's lots of names here being used, but really all I can think about even when I was reading it was the story. I'm being told a story, but I don't necessarily know who by or who these people are. And I think for me, that was one of the the sort of negatives of this book. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we come to King for great characterization and I can I can understand that you're not going to get it every single time because the amount of books he's published, we're not going to get, you know, our favorite characters every single book or even characters that may stand out. And the whole point of the story seems to be the focus on this car, this this what is this, the what if question of what the hell is this thing? Is it a creature? Is it a gateway? What is it? What happens to the thing that people have gone into it and disappeared? And what happens to the things that have come out that slowly sort of wilt away into nothingness? Um, you know, the mystery, I think, is engaging for that reason. And um, and that's that's where it's the, where it's strongest. Yeah, are we We're, beginning our dark tower journey? I, have, I, I think, I think we shall. I think we shall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, strap, strap yourself in. Let's do it. Let's walk along that beam. 
Yeah, let's walk along the beam. And oh my goodness, I'm going to annoy so many Dark Tower fans, aren't I? With my <laughs> <laughs> so you could only talk your truth, you know. That's... <laughs> Unfortunately, I can only do so. Um, so the first one we have up is Wolves of Kala, um, which is the first of three books that King would literally publish back to back. That were the Dark Tower, the end of the Dark Tower series, a seven book series that had been going on for since the eighties. Um, as I've said, my personal preference for the Dark Tower books are always the books that are a bit more isolated in their story. Like Drawing of Three is simply a story about drawing of three people. Um, the Wizard and Glass is a story about Roland and his first love and what he did in his first kind of mission. Um, Wolves of Kala, there, King spends a lot of time in this book setting up i feel it's there's less story here and more plot points for me because he's all the dark tower books that have previously been published they've always he's always let them the ideas come to him when he can't release them can't get rid of them he has to write them down whereas this king come to it with the desire i have to finish this now and i feel it affects the story because rather than have a sort of a organic sort of transition from into the next book there feels like Wolves of Kala in some ways is like a retcon and it's the build-up of of the and like there's a lot of Easter eggs being planted here for the end of the series that for me really I struggle with. And I spend that we spend a lot of time here, you know, palavering and being told things and you know by say a character that comes in from another book. Um shall we give that away? I, I think, yeah, I, I think we can. So that we are going to, because we do need to talk about this character. Um, mm-hmm. So if if you are, you know, treading down the beam and, and you want to just hold your thoughts uh, for a moment, then just, I, I would recommend just skipping forward for about, about, about five minutes worth. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a little spoiler on its way. So we run into Father Callahan from Salem's Lot and we run into him in a community that is... Um, on the way to the beam and we find that this community every every so often has been raided by wolves as they're described and the children are taken and the children come back and they have you know their intelligence and their um personality has been drained from them and they're left sort of reduced mentally and then and but at the same time they grow into um into sort of uh, they have sort of uh, symptoms of giantism and things like that and grow really big and it's always uh, one of a pair of twins that's taken um so it is by these wolves of thunderclap as they're referred to and roland and his gang are basically enlisted by this township to who have decided to fight back for the first time and they need gunslingers and so roland and his katat decide to um to uh, to help which is, which they do, and uh, and it's kind of like uh, the Magnificent Seven. That's kind of the inspiration for the storyline. Uh, you know, a small group of well trained um, fighters going up against this sort of army of um, bad guys. Um, and there's also you know uh, an an android called Andy that features as well. Who you sort of you think you're sort of led to believe that he's friendly, but it turns out he's not. He's on the wolf side of things, and he's just keeping an eye over this township. And it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I know I'm explaining it simply, but when when Father Canlan begins to tell his story in the middle of this book, and we've talked in the in the nineties about how you know King Wright wrote books that felt like there were two novels in one, his entire story takes up so much of this um this novel and this idea that there's gonna be this standoff, um, that it really sort of slows the pace. 
Mm. So it's just a lot. It's just a lot of information. It's a lot of story. And, it, you know, it feels like you can understand why King is often talked about. He would like to go back and rewrite everything and edit mm. everything because mm. the first four books feel like their own series. And then yeah. for me, the last three feel like their own series. Um, Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, total sense. I mean, it's the Dark Tower, the it 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 is pro- it is problematic okay because for me we start off obviously with the gunslinger which is a harsh introduction as we've said and you've got the drawing of the three that just absolutely flies um and you know wastelands i could do with some editing and then wizard and glass which is just absolute beauty and these three that came you know one after the other uh, in the 2000s it just you use the phrase it seems like a lot and it's it does it feels like there's the wheels start to come off a little bit for my for my taste because what happens is king starts to really acknowledge the influences on the story so i'm trying to get lost in the story which if we strip it down you know horrific about you know child abductions and what costs to keep a community um what happens to a community when it's under stress does it sacrifice itself or um turn on its vulnerable what do we do with with you know our our most vulnerable members of our community Um, and then you know these this dark foe that we know there's this countdown. It's just a matter of every page we turn that, you know, it's getting closer and closer to this epic battle and decisions have to be made. I love that. But within it, there's, you know, references to Harry Potter books because of the yeah. sneeches. Um, there's these kind of C-3PO, Star Wars, you know, Isaac Asimov well, robot. Doom, they're based off Doctor Doom from that, Marvel. That's oh, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And lightsabers. <laughs> you know, I, and, and, and they're even referenced like that. So all every time that happens, it just snaps me out of the narrative I'm trying to read. Yeah. Um, and it's also got these kind of Western themes to it, but it feels really confused. And it is the one, obviously, where King starts to weave his own backstory into this. You know, we start to discover um, fictional novels called Salem's Lot, written by a, a dude called Stephen King. And that's when for me a few warning bells start to go um i love the fact that father callahan is back because i always wanted to know what happened to him you know, at the after his encounter with the vampires in salem's lot so I, I think he's a fantastic character but this is the first one where i'm just like wow it really feels like it's trying to it just is trying too hard trying to do too much and yeah, lost, we haven't even talked me. about the whole Susanna storyline, which happens in it as well. Well, <laughs> you know, there's just yeah. so much story within this story. Like Susanna, obviously, there's Susanna who had, you know, previously been two personalities in one body, has begun to start to at night when everyone's sleeping, crawl away and start to eat like frogs and toads and all this stuff. And it later turns out that she's pregnant. Um, but she's not pregnant by Eddie. She's pregnant by the demon that she fought in the wastelands, and that it's somehow linked to Roland because Roland fought another demon in a similar manner in the Gunslinger, and it's mm. that's and that's again convoluted story. It just feels very convoluted for that. 
um, you know, like it's like I have to I have to get Susanna. Susanna has to be pregnant in some way. So mm. let's how do we, you know, how do we create this? How do we get there? And then there's all the stuff that's happening in, you know, well, we don't know if it's our universe, but we'll say it's our universe where, you know, in New York and stuff like that with this, you know, they have to protect this rose that's sort of the the twin of the tar and this evil corporation that's trying to destroy it. And it's just a lot. Uh, it's a lot. And it feels like, so for me, it feels like the first book in a series, not the, not the fifth and it's like I have all these ideas that I'm for getting to the end of the Dark Tower and I haven't introduced them in the previous books or at least they've been done so in such a small way. I need to introduce them now and get it over yeah. and done with. And mm-hmm. it's, there's, there's a sort of um, King has always sort of talked about how he doesn't plot books and how he you know responds to the influence to just inspiration and the first four books certainly in the series feel like that whereas these feel like he's trying to plot the story trying to co- just to, to to manipulate it to get to the end and the, and that's not to say there isn't enjoyable moments in it like the action is fantastic the bits where they actually shoot things and you know like i know the lightsabers and, and doctor doom you know other than other besides from that when they're actually fighting it's great it's well written but it's just it's just a lot and like the father callahan stuff did you ever when when you finished salem's lot did you ever wonder about him as a character because i didn't i honestly didn't think oh yeah i i did i mean i think it was that that fabulous bit at the end of salem's where you know he goes to the church and the minute he puts his hand on the door you know, is literally thrown back and ejected. His faith goes, no, you didn't have faith in me. I'm not having faith in you. And that final scene in the diner where he just disappears in such a state, I, I actually was really glad that they brought him back um, because I, I, I want to know more. And he becomes one of those, for me, one of the shining lights of this trilogy, if you like. Mm-hmm. I I don't, I don't mind, like, I, I am, like, I liked him having him back. I thought, you know, when I read it, it was like, oh, this is cool. This is Father Callahan. But I was kind of shocked to, like, see him because I was like, I didn't really, I haven't really thought over the years what happened to him. I know he disappears on a bus and he gets a bottle of booze and that's the last time we see him. Yeah. But because it's sort of, the way it's written, to me, felt so final um, that I was sort of like, oh, right, he's here. Oh, right, well, this is interesting. And I, I love the moments where they find themselves in the Kala, you know, um, teaching the village how to arm themselves yeah. and, and throwing the dishes and this real sense of, right, let's just bide our time, keep sharp, because we really need to have our wits about us. Um, I I could have lost about 300 pages. And what this book does for me is it starts to bring in the troublesome separation, you know, with Susanna and Mia and as the pregnancy happens, which then takes over very much the next book. And I uh, just personally for me, that's when the narrative I found was at its weakest. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I feel like these books aren't um, properly, they're not, the way they're not like they're end on cliffhanger endings but they don't end where they should i feel like a certain part of wills of kala the end should be on the beginning of song of susanna uh. once the wolves are dispatched 
Um, I think that's where you should cut it off because there's a whole big bit where I kept waiting for the book to end when they get to the doorway cave and they go through to New York and stuff starts happening in New York and it kind of for me as, a, as from a storytelling point of view I'm like well actually this is called Wolves of Kala so the whole point of this book is dealing with the wolves they're dealt with so why are we going on here why are we having this sort of epilogue it's like the end of Jared's game where the whole point of that story is to get her out of the bed and get her out of the room and get her from being handcuffed yeah and we get another hundred pages of finding out how, you know, her life is afterwards. And that's not really what the point is. I don't want to know that. So for me, and it's the same what happens in The Dark Tower, uh, the final book. Um, and I suppose we can talk about them all as one, can we? Because yeah, I, 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 th- I think so. Because the fact that they released, you know, year, you know, in subsequent years, yeah. it feels like these three are absolutely one huge tome. They're one, yeah, I absolutely believe that. And so I feel like you should put the ending of Kala onto the beginning of Song of Susanna. But I also yeah. think the first 200 pages of The Dark Tower should be at the end of Song of Susanna mm. um, and make yes. Song of Susanna longer. Because I actually <laughs> like, there's elements, is, there's really, there's, so the Wolves of Kala ends and all our characters, all our heroes are split. They're in separate, uh, separate timelines, doing separate things. And, um, and part of those stories in Song of Susanna, I really enjoyed. Like, um, like I know it, it, a lot of people might not, but I actually enjoyed Eddie and Roland going to see Stephen King. That was the oh, part. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you see. So, okay. What was it for you that brought you enjoyment in that section? Well, again, remember back when I was reading these books for the first time, I didn't know anything about Stephen King other than he read oh. these books you know my world of it was just there oh. was there was no there was there was internet but there wasn't good internet there wasn't you know anything you could go and find articles and stuff and learn everything he was saying about each individual book you couldn't do that there just wasn't that availability um and there wasn't even like magazines that probably weren't were talking about him because again I was from Northern Ireland I wasn't in America where maybe yeah. he makes most of his sales so I knew nothing about the man so to have the actual author of the book appear in the story and have like Roland taking the piss out of him because he's so like steel-minded and like, he's, like <laughs> you know it's kind of I just find it kind of funny you know and I just enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it for what it was I liked that but the Susanna Mia stuff was the, was the was the points where I struggled because it, it felt like that's where it slowed I liked the Jake and Callahan stuff because it was like we have to get to save Susanna, we have to go. That's where the the pacing is, yeah. Um, and it just feels for Song of Susanna, which is a very thin book in between these two big tombs. It feels like the pacing is way off because the so the Susanna Dean Ma- Mia storyline, which is you find out Susanna is now inhabited by another demon called that now refers to herself as Mia, and that she wants to have a baby, and that's her life's desire. Mm. Uh, she's <laughs> gone to new york to have this baby which is a is a is a is a sort of a mix between herself the crimson king and and roland if i believe if i've got my facts correct. <laughs> well and listen no one could blame you even you if you haven't because it's it's all a bit of a mess by this stage uh-huh. And and so they go to the Dixie Pig restaurant to give birth to this thing under the Crimson King's chair, care, and Jake, Ollie, <laughs> and Father Canon are following her to save her life. And you know this book ends with 
Jake and Ollie and Father Callan going into the Dixie Pink, going up against vampires that are as powerful as Barlow from, you know, Salem's Lot, and then going up against all these low men and creatures and all this demonic stuff. And it just ends. It ends with them walking in. And it's such a cliffhanger ending. I could see why so many people were disappointed, especially at the time of publication, because you're like, I've got to wait another seven months. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then and because the next book, you know, begins immediately after that. And so it's it's such a thin wee thimble of a book um, between the two. That's why we we can kind of have to talk about them all as one because they are just they just run together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I mean, uh, it's so slight, and I hate the fact that the cartet are all separated um, mm. because you know I I, I just find. I spend far too much time with uh, you know Susanna and Mia and the chap and mm-hmm. <laughs> just some interminable scenes of them in a hotel room. Uh, yes. you, oh, that just went on and on and on. And but amongst that, let's look at what works for, for just for me. And I know there's going to be tons of people shouting at the podcast, you know, because <laughs> the Dark Tower. I do think of all of King's work is possibly the most divisive. Mm. Um, it's definitely the most heat I ever see in debates. And that's great. That's a good thing, right? Because you want that. You want that to everyone to have their reads, their opinions upon it. Um, but it's very much, I, you know, this one for me, you've got the great shootout scene, haven't you, in yes. this one, Jamie? Which is just brilliant. It's it reminds me again of King's not lost his touch for action and no. building up a set piece. That whole shootout scene uh, is just in our world, brilliant. Yeah, in our world, and Roland's there, and some really cool new older characters we meet, and it's just built up perfectly. So I love all of that. And it reminded me of the way he did it in those first 80 pages of The Regulators. You know, this man has not lost a single moment of sharpness and muscularity in no, describing action. And I just, I want more of that. Yeah, so you want more of that, don't you? And that's the, the, <laughs> the that pacing problem I see is there. Because the moment you mm. cut Santa Mia, it's like, slow. Oh. We, just take, we take a pause. <laughs> And and so like for me like you know, I will get her ratings, but I actually think of it as a three star book because it's like it's like Heart of Atlantis. It has this great story element in it with mm. what's happening with Roland and Eddie and and happened with uh, Jake and Callahan, but then it has this other story element that's just like not for me. I just I just I'm just not in that. You know, it feels like it feels like a separate book inside this wee tiny book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I have to say, for me. Mm. I am just not a fan of when that fourth wall is broken and, you know, Mm. the device that King does, um, again, you know, we have alluded to it, but, you know, a little spoiler uh, in in full effect if you do want to fast forward a few minutes. But, you know, when King inserts himself into the novel, I, I I get I hear you when you're talking about, you know, it's great seeing Roland take the piss out of King and the relationship (laughs) and. There's elements of interest, but it just, for me, smacks of... I mean, he's Stephen King, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Great, fine. But it felt like a real bit of ego stroking, and it felt misguided, and it snaps me right out of the story, and it feels so heavy-handed. You know, yeah, okay, the creator is God, the author is God, and there's something obviously really interesting about the fact that, you know... 
these characters have to save the writer, you know, later on. Um, I I think that's, I like that. I think that's really cool. Okay. So Mm. hang on these characters. Will you lay your life down on the line for your creator for, you know, um, that's cool, but it just feels again, where it might have been cooler if it wasn't him as the creator. Like, mm. wouldn't it? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I Dean do R. Coots. Yeah. No, but just something like that, you know, like, you know, where, like, you know, the way you see at the end of Ozakala that the book is, is Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Maybe instead of that, it had been one of the Dark Tower books, but a different name, mm. you know, a different yeah. author sort of thing. And this idea that there's always an author in every universe writing this story compelled to write the story in order yeah. to you know to do this and so in our universe it's Stephen King but in their universe it's you know whoever they create you know I think they create a fictional offer for Charlie the Choo Choo so you couldn't use that um that wee children's tale that's in the book mm-hmm. um, um yeah so it's just it's very convoluted and complicated isn't it I think <laughs> it really is and you know it was the one that on my uh when I was cast away um it definitely uh, or, you know in survivor type uh the song of Susanna made an appearance let's put it that way <laughs> um yeah and just my my walk along the beam I mean it's so expansive obviously and there's so much beauty within it and I've lost myself so wonderfully within the story of the Dark Tower, but yeah. there's absolutely been moments of just sheer frustration, you know, where it feels like, you know, I'm going along the beam and then I get knocked off because I'm going, hang on a minute, just head scratching. And on a few times around now, I'm like, I don't think it's necessarily us going, hang on, wait, does this add up? It just, there's bits where it just feels very lost. Um, and yeah. this for me is the most problematic of all of the all of the um Dark Tower books. No. Yeah. I much yeah. prefer the win. We're talking slight books. I much preferred the little linchpin of win through the keyhole. I thought that, you know, w- yeah. was much more in- entertaining as a story. Yes. Yeah, so as someone who's recently reread it, uh, yeah, absolutely agree. Mm. It's just it's it's con it's just I think though the difference between that story and this is King was inspired to write that story. Whereas this is a story where this, you know, where he the plot has to go in this direction. You know, Win yeah. has the has the privilege of not being attached to the Dark Tower in any serious way. So he can do whatever he wants to do with mm-hmm. those characters. But with this, um, you know, I think he's very led by inspiration as well. But also when that inspiration hits, he feels that that's the way the story has to go. Yeah. And maybe there's a bit of unadaptability to changing and a bit of fluidity that could have been placed in here. I don't know. It'd be very difficult, these three books, because I imagine when he sent this this story to the publisher, it was one book. It wasn't, yeah. you know, he didn't have them divided into these sections, you know, as they stand. I think this was just all one big book that he, you know, this is the final mm-hmm. thing. And maybe if it had been, I don't think he could even try to release it like that, but um, maybe it would make, that's the way it made, for me, like when I read it the first time, I read all the Dark Tower in order. I didn't read them, you know, within the publication order. So I just started the Gunslinger and worked my way through to book yep, seven. Yeah, likewise. And I was completely encapsulated with the characters that I was just bound along that journey. And yeah, they had the bits had ebbs and flows for me, but I didn't really notice it as much when I was reading them on the reread. And you know, and had ta- you know, it was a, it was a, and and revisiting those characters and stuff that I was able to notice the sort of the points where the plot sort of 
it becomes too complicated and it becomes a bit convoluted. Mm. Um, I mean, and, and, you know, so much of it, I mean, for me, I really, you know, again, just me as a reader, what I'm into, I really struggled with Tolkien. Um, Just for me, I I never got on with it. Um, I tried, tried a number of times, but I just didn't. Um, Again, each to their own. But I know, obviously, you can't escape the Tolkien breadth and and scope of, of this novel. Uh, well, of this saga, the Dark Tower saga, but it just feels in these last three. And I remember finishing Susanna thinking, okay, final book, let's get things back on track. And it's a yeah, it's a curious one, the final book. Um The Dark Tower itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it's where such do, a mixed bag. Yeah. Where do you how how did it affect you? Um, first time round, I was I so I read it for the characters. So the first time round, mm. I was absolutely sort of jaw on the floor for everything that goes on with those characters, and I really did love the final Dark Tower book. I thought it was uh, a great note on the whole, you know, Roland, Eddie, Jake, Susanna, Oi. I thought it was. I loved it for those things. Now reading on the reread and looking at it from a, a, a story point of view of just that book as it exists, I feel the first 200 pages needs to be taken out of that and put at the end of Song of Susanna because it opens up with Father Callan, Jake and Oi in the Dixie Pig mm-hmm. killing and laying waste to all these demons and it's absolutely class and fantastic. But it then it, it just it um it slows right down. So one of the worst things that I think King Saints decides to do, and I have an idea of why he does it, Mordred kills Randall Flagg. Yeah. And this is a villain that we have spent numerous books with that has always been at play in the background of every sort of king, of, of the King universe as being sort of the cause of such agony and evil. And to have him killed off by Mordred, I know what the statement of that means. It means that Mordred is something to be feared. But I just, I just think it's so underwhelming for that character as a fan of King's work. Yeah, and it's so easy the way yeah. he gets killed. I, I remember just going, "Hang what? Hang on, that that can't be right. That's not Randall Flagg. He's not. I mean, it's just so easy the death." Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> this this character that you know has has appeared and reappeared throughout so much of King's body of work now, you know, 30 years on, to just dispose of him like that. Uh mm-hmm. I no no no. I, I I I really rang a false note for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as I've always said, you don't really need the Crimson King. I always felt you never really needed the Crimson King. Oh yeah. Because you had a perfect villain in Randall Flag. Yep. And it just sort of felt like Randall, actually, when I read this series and then sort of let a little bit of time pass, I thought the Crimson King was Randall Flagg mm-hmm. because he, Crimson King has so little personality. It feels like, you know, he feels like a petulant child. <laughs> and um, and Randall Flagg has such personality and has been throughout the whole book. So I, 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 you know, and I think it could be forgiven for mistaking those two because I wanted him to be the villain. It just, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to create this whole new big bad behind everything when you've got something someone that's been along for so long and even the beginning of the gunslinger series like that's who roland palavra's with at the end of the book he is the man in black or he is you know the one that killed his mum or made him kill his mum and all this stuff so why would why would it not be him it just doesn't make sense uh, um uh. And I suppose it may be done for a twist value and stuff and to make Mordred come across as this powerful being and stuff like that. But 
Um, it just, uh, just I have no time. I have I have very little time for it, and and that actually yeah. sent me on quite a negative for the rest of the book from then on because I wanted to re-experience that kind of like devastation and loss that happens. Yeah characters unfortunately start to die in this and 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 the, the deaths are really well done and and you're sort of yeah. like draw is dropped and yeah. you know you're in agony for these people you know eddie's de- eddie dean death tore me up mm. and not just his death but the fact that he remains you know he lingers and his humor is still there even though he's got a gunshot wound to the head mm. and all that stuff mm. and you're just like oh it's just so heart-wrenching and there uh, and and so but for having on the reread, having experienced that stuff around the flag, I kind of felt like that made me emotionally kind of withdraw from enjoying the series because I was just kind of like, you know, I just I just pulled out then. So yeah. I did. Um and King begins to start 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 talking about the breakers, these people, you know, people that have the shine that have always existed in his universes, and Ted Granigan appears from Lowe Men and Yellow Coats, and the character from Everything is Eventual appears, and also a character from The Wizard of Glass appears in it. And they all have the shine and they are the breakers, which as we know from Black House, um, one a uh, Jack Sawyer stopped a particular uh area, uh. A particular sort of segment of breakers from destroying beams that they were working on. This is the same thing here. This is what we've already sort of been introduced to. And Roland and Eddie and stuff begin to make their, you know, way of um, basically killing off Crimson King's men and stopping these breakers from breaking uh, the beams to save the dark tower. But and you kind of go into it thinking they've done this so many times before these fights they've always come out unscathed yeah. that it's going to be fine and then Eddie gets a shot to the face and you're like oh my oh my god no one yeah. anyone can be touched yeah and that is genuinely genuinely heartbreaking um, because it feels like this the emotion is just not powerful enough for me throughout a lot of this story until we get to those moments where unfortunately we start to lose uh people that we really care and we love and we've spent you know seven books with um because yeah the crimson king i find underwhelming uh, death of randall flag mordred seems underwhelming as well uh you know it, it just seems and and the ending still trying to work my head around it and you know knowing exactly what it is and does it work or does it not again it's the headache of trying to work out the end of inception by nolan you know (laughs) but here i think it's just a little confused um and i think there's some really powerful moments within it i think the dan delow section is i love that one of his most terrifying sections and it's absolutely brilliant um it's it's so well done all of the you know the patrick and 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 the shine that he has in his communication there's a lot i really like there as well yeah for me jamie it's like you know go back and take this back make it a trilogy um i mean wow because i think there's just so much padding and it does just lose its way even the jake stuff like with the padding like jake died and a version of jake died in gunslinger and then suddenly we needed to have jake back in the wastelands and it felt like this retcon for jake so it did and that's mm-hmm. where i was one of the things that the that first section of that book that i really struggled with because it was like that book was retconning what had gone before and we spent so, so much time doing that 
And again, here Jake dies, saving saving Stephen King mm-hmm. uh, when Roland tries to save it, uh, see himself. And there's all this, uh, you know, the whole thing about Roland is really interesting. There's such tension because the whole book along, you know that he would abandon his friends for the dark tower, you know, despite the fact that he loves them, despite the fact that they've gone through yeah. so much, he would sacrifice them. But he tries to save Jake, who he considers his adopted son, and Jake dies. Um, Jake dies to save Stephen King. He's he's the one that takes the full brunt of the car uh, that hits King in the 1990s, yeah. and uh, and I find that death incredibly heartfelt, uh, especially the way you know Oi's reaction is depicted. Um, you know that is it's like there are such moments of writing genius, as you say. Dandelo is a great creepy character, but why he is why is he at the end of this book, and you know why it just feels like like. They come up to this house and then, and then the, the whole section of this book, it just feels like this isn't certain parts of it. This isn't where the story is supposed to end mm. in some way. Because, you know, I talk about books that are written uh, with formulas in mind. And I think if you're trying to pull off a massive fantasy, universal, uh, universe spanning epic, I think you have to work to a certain degree with a formula. You know, you have to follow a certain three-act structure and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And because these books are probably all written together and meant as one book, they don't feel like they have a three-act structure. So when they're when they're crossing you know, these wastelands to get to the Dark Tower and you run into Dandelo, while it's really cool what Dandelo is and it's really cool what the what's the, the kid's name they pick up again, Patrick? Patrick, yeah. Yeah, and like his power is really interesting and stuff like that. It feels like where where is this going? What yeah. are we doing? You know, and um, and I love what happens to Susanna. I love that she doesn't get killed. Um, <laughs> you know, she's after everything she's endured, she's allowed to go and exist in another universe. Um, yeah, yeah. version of Eddie and Jake. Yeah, and, and which, which I think, yeah, which I think's be absolutely beautiful. I remember, you know, I think maybe just that catharsis of get, getting to the end of mm. such, you know, such an odyssey. Um, mm. You know, I, I did find that really beautiful, and I'm really glad that you know. And there's obviously the ache and the heartache because of what's happened to you know to to, to some of the other characters we love, and I really really loved my time with Roland um second time round as i said i listened to the audiobooks which were absolutely fantastic you know the late great frank muller again uh doing four of those and I just I found such comfort within them you know again i listened to them during the pandemic and when the world was so filled with fear and uncertainty and there was something really cathartic about going back to a, a quest you know roland and his quartet you know on the on the quest down the beam to the dark tower and the scope and the magnitude of it i, I found huge comfort within it um but i guess at the time if you're a king fan and you know for 3 years it's you know these three dark tower books uh, it's, uh, on the back of King's, you know, exclamation about from a Buick Ape being the last King novel proper, mm-hmm. you're going to find yourself in a little bit of a uh, worried, confused place, potentially, unless you're a massive Dark Tower f- uh, fan of these last three yeah. books. Absolutely. And I don't think everyone was a massive Dark no. Tower fan uh, within his, you know, within his, his fan base. You know, I think there was only a small majority of people that actually, you know, revere the Dark Tower compared to the rest of his books. Uh, and I certainly, uh. you know, look at 
the amount of people I know that the favorite King book is not one of these um, is mm. probably ninety nine percent. So um, it's just interesting that that's you know. But he you know dedicated himself to finishing this series, and it is like a mixed bag. It it doesn't have it is a mixed bag of a series. They're really great. Even even the Dark Towers of book as a whole is kind of the perfect summary for the series. It has really great moments and really moments of genius writing, and then there's other sections where you're just like why is this happening now or what does this have to do with you know relation you know in relation to this or that and roland never gets his confrontation with randall flag at the end mm. and you know, this is that's one of the driving forces for roland in his life because you know he made him kill his mum and that never is mm. roland never gets to do that and he instead he has this sort of standoff with the crimson king at the end of the dark tower which and when he I kind of I enjoyed the the standoff sort of I enjoyed it from you know a simple story point of view but I'd rather have it been Randall just it would have had more weight to it yeah um, and do you think yeah. it's what 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 do you think was the impetus for King to you know finish these three books was there you know because again as we said there wasn't this huge demand for it right I, I mean. I think it's pressure he put himself. I think he views these these books as much more. I think he enjoys these books much more than what I do, or what most of the fans do. I think he he likes the idea that everything is connected in his universe. Mm. And I think King's such an instinctive writer that he, in some ways, the Dark Tower is like him trying to put give a reasoning to why all his books are connected in some way, and they're sort of. There's sort of a, a a completist kind of enjoyment there you would have with yeah. this series in that you know right everything's done neat bow Roland's met the dark tower I can stop now and and I actually think you know the next book the you know, the first book after the dark tower the Colorado Kid a very very slight tale but I look at it as a new era for King because mm. it's the first book he's written without the weight of this series over his head because you as again you imagine it's a massive task to do any sort of series of yeah. books even sequels but the idea that you're every time that king say i'm writing dolores claiborne i'm choosing not to write the next dark tower book which i have left open for you know the story is not finished but i'm going to tell this other story that will be finished within one book and then i'm going to tell another and another and another and then you know so I think there's sort of he wants to finish it, and the idea that the weight is off him. These the next couple of the next decade of King, he feels like he's free to work with whatever he wants. <laughs> that idea of retirement, I can understand why he didn't retire because, yeah, you know, a, a mind like his being so creative, his his being so prolific as his, you know, the ideas would just come, and the idea that they he didn't have this weight hanging over him. He could write whatever he wanted. Then he could spend whatever amount of time he wanted on these and whatever stories he wanted. Mm-hmm. And the accident had, you know, he he had moved away from the accident. Now this is in the two. This is two thousand and five. Yeah. You know, there's several years between it. He had written in books those really dark books like Dreamcatcher, like From a Buick Gate, Black House, that had this sort of melancholy to them. And now he feels like he's getting onto the other side. The Colorado Kid. Very slight story published with um, Hard Case Crime, which is a publisher that publishes 
um, stories that are from, written from the you know the forties and fifties and sixties. These sort of hard boiled novels that have been sort of forgotten about. They brought them back and they asked Stephen King because they knew he was a fan of them. Would he write something for them? And I think they actually asked him to write a forward. And he says, no, but I'll write you a novel instead. And it's called The Colorado Kid. Mm-hmm. And it is linked to the the, ther- the threads, the themes of From a Buick 8, that sometimes you don't always get an answer to the story. Because mm-hmm. in this, The Colorado Kid is a man who is, well, there's a dead body that was found on Little Toil Island, the location of um, Dolores Claiborne. Dolores, yeah. And he's found by these two teenagers, and um, and it's just this: these two journalists, these two elderly journalists that work in Little Toil Island and write the newspaper there, telling this sort of new um, new journalist that's coming along, who's uh, there for work experience, that sometimes stories don't have endings, <laughs> and uh, and don't have endings that satisfy, and it's kind of King sort of nudging a wink to his audience that you know for any time that you know and he's always done that you know people his audience has got angry with misery because they thought he was talking about them about fans being overzealous and fans weren't happy with like the endings of certain books like from a beer gate fans some fans weren't uh, happy with the ending of the dark tower so it's kind of a wee nudging a wink to them to say like life doesn't have happy endings all the time and sometimes it doesn't explain its mysteries at all either and it just goes on. <laughs> and uh, so interesting. We spoke, didn't we, about yeah, on the back of kind of the the huge disgorging of <laughs> needful things came Dolores and Gerald's mm-hmm. game. And so he's just spent years and three years of the Dark Tower. Yeah. So the fact that this comes out now, and I think, you know, one of the smallest um, page counts, it's really slim, isn't it? It's it's yeah. really, uh, again, just you mentioned the word freedom. <laughs> uh, a, a sense maybe, because King said, you know, when he finished the Dark Tower uh, saga, he said he was satisfied, but he also said he could put down his pen because he had a weary hand. I definitely get that sense of weight, and and this must be a perfect reaction to it. Yeah, it's almost like him commenting on his own last, you know, the story. Because not just the last three books, but you have to last six books wow. have all been connected to the Dark Tower. And, you know, the short story collections, Black House from a Buick 8. And then you've got all the stories in the 90s that are connected to it. Rose Matter, Insomnia, all the ones yeah. we've already gone through. Um, so it, it this thing was weighing on his head to a cer- certain degree even before the accident and the fact that it's finally finished I mean the fact that because I feel like everything is connected to the Dark Tower so much in the 90s and the early noughties the fact that that he doesn't have to do that anymore that it's done that it's finished that there's a stamp on it in his head it, he just he starts talking the stories that he now goes on to write are so interesting because of it it's like he's free to have whatever idea he wants and he doesn't have to connect it to them at all or <laughs> universe at all. And I love that about the stories that are, that are coming up that we get to talk about. Yeah. And um, I, I read a review of this in, in the Guardian that said, um, it kind of encapsulates everything we've spoken about today, which is about from a Buick eight brought one part of King's career to an end. He just recovered from being hit by a van. So that book is suffused with pain and a sense that the world has ended. 
The Colorado kid is the first faint stirrings among the grave dirt. The twitching fingers that indicate the victim may not be dead yet. (laughs) It's a five-fingered exercise, a little noodle on the piano keys to warm up his fingers before King brings the world to an end again, but this time for fun, in his next novel, Cell. So now we're going to do our ratings now. <laughs> again, I have a feel there's going to be quite a bit of heat in this uh, episode. And uh, again, because we're talking about the Dark Tower, how can it be anything other than that? Um, so we're going to share our ratings. So, yeah, everything's eventual. 14 Dark Tales. Jamie, what what, what, it, what does it get from you? 3.5 for 3. me. 3.5. Shall we say standout short stories for ourselves? Yep, go for it. Road virus heads north. Yeah, uh, one fourteen oh eight, and the little sisters of Illyria. Fantastic stories. Yeah, lovely. And I'm going to go for a three for that one. Uh, mm. Ones that stand out. Yeah, road virus. Absolutely. Autopsy. Gotham Cafe. And Death Room. Uh, it, 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 it is a nasty little tale um, mm. with, with a brilliant payoff at the end. From a Buick Eight is next. From a Buick 8. So from Buick 8. So I really, really loved it. Um, first time I read it. Um, again, because of the relationship with the frailty and the fragility and the cast of characters he builds around it becomes for me more than, say, the car itself. The car mm-hmm. is <laughs> literally the vehicle for this character study. And there's a darkness to it that I think is really honest of King. So I'm I'm going for 3.5. I went for three. Uh, I actually, I think my first read, it was like four stars for it. I really uh, enjoyed it. But on reread, I just, I, I, my memory was the characters were amazing. And then when I went back to it, I struggled to, to remember, to just keep an eye on who yeah. was who. And it was just sort of a, a list of names. So, mm. uh, so three for me. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom, boom. The Dark Tower, Wolves of the Calla. 2.5 stars for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's my least favorite of the of all the books in the series. It just spends so much time feeling like it's setting up a series books to come rather than telling a story for me. Mm, mm. For me, it's a three. What works is the reintroduction of uh, some characters we know and love, and and the setting itself, the premise itself, I think is really powerful. Um, but again, there's far too much padding, and it starts to go, uh, starts to navel gaze far too much for me. Uh, next one is Song of Susanna, and that's oh, a three for me. Actually, that's a three. I, yeah, I like it more, but just because this, I think it helps that it's smaller. Mm you get to the ending quicker and I think mm. the characters are doing more. It's more the characters that I'm enjoying and it, their story is more condensed and at a higher, faster pace than Kala. Mm. Yep. For me, it's a one. I, it, <laughs> it, it drove me nuts. This book. Um, I, I love the, I love the shootout uh, uh, and that absolutely is fantastic. The rest of it is just, uh, <laughs> infuriating yeah infuriating and 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 i felt it really i didn't want it to go in that direction uh and jamie the dark tower seven the final one 3.5 stars for me yeah you know there was a time when i read this i think i would have put it in my top 10 but now Mm. um and that would have been for the emotional payoff of some of the characters and the loss i felt for them but now i haven't reread it and read the other elements of it those moments still stand out but the other elements really drag it down 
Yeah, yeah. And I'm going for a three. Uh, again, I think there's some standout moments within it and for sense of uh, uh, of place and this almost catharsis. It's definitely there. Uh, but again, just needed some really sharp editing and um, the deus ex machina, I, I still have a problem with. Um, but that's my problem, <laughs> not King's. <laughs> I think he's done very well <laughs> with the Dark Tower. And uh, But yeah... Need another twist around it. It, it, I still can't hold on to that ending, you know. Um, But maybe that's the the whole point. Maybe Colorado kid. I've not done so. um, That's right. Three stars for me. It's too. It's too slight to be anything more than that because Uh it just. But I enjoyed what I read. You know, it's just not. You know, it's just one of those things. It's like that. There's there's books you read and you're like, that's perfectly serviceable, and that's yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> so it sounds like almost like a dark tower chaser, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a, a nightcap to finish off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then building things up for you know 2006 sell, which we're going to dive into that and a number of other books in the second half of the first decade of the 2000s in our next episode. Right, well, Jamie, I hope no one knows where you or I live, because... Um, uh... People will be coming now. <laughs> <laughs> the wolves the wolves are coming. <laughs> Better start to sharpen your plates, buddy. Uh, Jamie, as always, such a, such a trip uh, through the decades with you, my friend. Thank you so much, mate. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, buddy. King Size was written and presented, edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music, Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at Podcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.